Coming up on Golf Today, the Tom Kim train rolls along. The 20-year-old sensation notched his second career PGA Tour win on Sunday and in doing so joined some elite company. We explain. Plus, it was a historic day in Madrid as John Rahm joins Seve Ballesteros as a three-time winner of the Spanish Open. We've got the highlights from his impressive win. And we had a Tiger sighting over the weekend. When will we see the 82-time PGA Tour winner teared up again? We discuss as Golf Today starts now. Golf today. When it comes to Tom Kim, you know, this young kid has burst onto the scene in the last six months. And it has been such a tremendous, he's been such a tremendous gift to our sport. He has an ability to be a global superstar, this, this kid. I know he has the game, we've seen he has the game, but what I've learned about his personality and his heart and what he stands for this week, man, I am a huge fan. Well, what a brilliant weekend in the game it was as we welcome you into golf today. Great to have you with us. Anna Jackson alongside Eamon Lynch for the next couple of hours and so many fantastic success stories. First of all, Tom Kim, we heard Trevor Ilmerman talking about him there, but he's backed up his President's Cup heroics with a second PGA Tour win. But not only that, in the women's game, an English double, may I point out, 11 years, Jodie Hewitt-Shadow finally broke through for her first win on the LPGA. And then, of course, 10 women punching their ticket onto the tour via the Epson Tour. So success stories at every level of the game. It really just tells you, you never know when the dream is gonna come true in this game. I mean, Tom Kim's only played a handful of PGA Tour events in his career, Jody Ewart Chadoff went 0 for 245, but never lost the belief in herself that she could get it done. And it came on the 246th, probably the most popular winner of the weekend. Yeah, it's been uh, fascinating to watch this weekend. We are going to be diving into all the storylines in case you miss anything. Tom Kim walking home with a three-shot victory over Patrick Cantlay. Final round 66 for Tom Kim. He went bogey-free, by the way. The first bogey-free 72 holes by a winner on tour since JT Poston back in 2019 at the Wyndham Championship. So how about this? Youngest to earn multiple PGA Tour wins. We mentioned his age just there. Since World War II, the second youngest, well, that was none other than Tiger Woods. So he has truly put himself in some elite company. Let's hear from the young two-time PGA Tour champion. It's really amazing. Uh, a few months ago, I, I didn't have any status in the U.S. and now being a two-time winner on tour, having that place, you know, with Tiger is it's an unbelievable feeling for me. It's it's an honor for me, and it's definitely a dream come true. You had talked earlier in the week how you feel like your life hasn't changed. Everyone else is telling you that you're this rock star and superstar, but you feel like you're the same person? Of does course. That, does that... 100%. I mean... Does that change at all with this second win? No, it hasn't. Absolutely not. You know, I still got a long way to go, and, you know, I want to... Hopefully, I have a long career at the PGA Tour, and, you know, I got a lot, lot of work to do. You know, there's a lot of guys that I, I still need to get better at um, golf, and, you know, there's a lot of guys out here who has a lot more success than me, so I got to learn, and I got I to keep playing better. And how will you stay motivated with all this success? What will you do to, to keep winning just like Tiger did? I got, you know, I got, a lot, I got lots of work to do on my game. I'm not going to lie. You know, I, you know, there's some weaknesses that I need to get better at. Um, and I need to keep the strengths that I have. And, you know, it's, 
hopefully I can have a long career and you know I got to work really hard I can't get set aside at all and you know I just got to keep playing better because there's a lot of guys who work really hard and uh, who have achieved a lot, even a lot more than me you know I, I'm not even close to you know Tiger so Tiger whether it's Tiger Rory Justin you know Jordan those guys you know that you know I, I still got a long way to go so I just got to keep working hard and you're 20 but is it a little tiring I mean winning uh, Wyndham playing in the uh, FedEx Presence Cup here. I, I think you might be jumping on a flight tonight. Like, I mean, are you t tired or is it just because you're 20 that you're good? I mean, I, I'm playing on the PJ Tour as a 20-year-old. It, it's hard to get tired from this. You know, it's, I'm, I'm a five-year-old in Disneyland for sure. You know, that's the way I would pronounce it. Life couldn't get much better for Tom Kim right now. Well, let's just take a look at how quick his rise has been. He finished 2021 ranked 131st in the official World Golf Rankings. Now, thanks to a 23rd finish at the US Open, that then propelled him much further up to 58th. And then, of course, two wins at the Wyndham Championship and now at the Shriners at Children's Open. He currently sits 15th in the official World Golf Rankings. So what a rise this has been, Eamon. And, you know, he really broke out onto the scene truly where we really got to know him and fall in love with him at the President's Cup, where he sort of put the international team on his back and he really relit the fire on Saturday. But to back it up this quickly in his individual career just takes so much confidence and courage. What impressed you the most about him last week? To me, it's got to be the attitude. And it's striking even listening to that sound after his victory, what you see from him is this sense of gratitude of what he's able to accomplish where he's able to accomplish and, and who he's playing with, who he's doing it against. And these days we seem to talk so much about players who exhibit more of a sense of entitlement than a sense of gratitude. And that's really what you're seeing out of Tom Kim. And that was a clinic he put on this weekend. 72 holes without a bogey. Only Lee Trevino and JT Poston have ever done that on the PGA Tour. And it was, to me it was just a masterclass in mitigating any mistakes and exploiting opportunities. The 24 birdies and the nine times that he missed a green all week long, he got up and down nine times. And it was a little bit like going back to the President's Cup, really. It was that slight feeling of that match play between him and Patrick Cantlay. Patrick Cantlay is a much more proven winner on tour, eight wins to his name, and is far more experienced in these high-pressure situations, trying to close it out on a Sunday. And when we saw him sort of collapse almost on 18 that really wayward tee shot and then trying to figure it out give himself a chance to bring it back on on that 72nd hole and he just couldn't get it done and Tom Kim just walked straight through the door that Patrick Cantlay opened for him and and it's always just so interesting hearing Tom Kim talk after his wins after his triumphant moments because he just has this level of composure that for a 20 year old is really really quite remarkable and we're making these comparisons to Tiger Woods now just check out what he was uh, what he said after his winning comparing his success to Tiger's things have changed for you, you're much more well-known. Are you learning the balance of juggling all of that? I mean, I'm always myself. I don't really, the situation hasn't really changed of who I am a little bit. Um, so, no, I don't really think it's really changed for me. And I, th I think it's going to be the same way. Tiger has 82 wins on the PJ Tour. Until I, until I get to 83, it's, it's going to be hard for me to think a little different, so... Now, if other players had said that who weren't Tom Kim, I feel like they would have been slated for being so overly cocky and confident. But a part of me thinks he does truly believe that. And what we've seen from him over the last three months, what do you think? He had a very interesting comment uh, with Amy Rogers earlier 
uh, whenever he was asked after the victory, was he surprised at how quickly success had come on the PGA Tour? And his answer was yes and no. And to me, it showed that he has absolute confidence in his own ability to deliver in those kind of circumstances. And yesterday was very different to his win at the Wyndham. He kind of ran away from the field at the Wyndham, despite opening with a quadruple bogey on the first hole of the tournament. This one, he was facing the world number four face-to-face -face down the stretch. And on a golf course where Patrick Cantley had a win and two second places. So, you know, it's really horses for courses. And he couldn't have had a more intimidating opponent yesterday than he did. And he never lost that kind of eerie, quiet self-confidence that he has himself. He's not overly demonstrative on the golf course as a golfer, no matter what we saw in the President's Cup. They all get a little bit crazy in a team environment. But he's got this kind of eerie calm about him. And I, I think that probably values having Joe Scovran on his bag as well, having the voice of experience who'd been there in that position for so many years with Ricky Fowler. It could just be a word here, a word there. They had some interesting exchanges that the microphones caught over the course of the weekend as Joe just kind of guided him along. But, you know, this guy's like a missile. You just got to point him in the right direction. And he's also just so refreshing. You know, we're, we're in a time in golf where you do hear a fair few players complaining about quite a lot of stuff and then you hear Tom Kim after a moment like that saying I feel like I'm a kid at Disneyland I'm just having so much fun out there on the PGA Tour and the gratitude and just realizing how lucky he is to be in this position how hard he's worked to get into this position you know he's earning great money he's achieving huge success at the age of 20 years of age there is so much opportunity out there for someone like Tom Kim and he's a refreshing character and so refreshing that it was interesting that you saw Sung Jae-im and KHG waiting for him behind the 18th green yesterday. He's this kind of talisman figure, even for, for the South Korean players. And you saw that in the President's Cup as well. He's absolutely a breath of fresh air in this game. OK, well, it was Tom Kim who closed it out on the 72nd hole on Sunday. But ultimately, it was that tee shot that came down to Patrick Cantlay that really was a disappointing finish for him. He was uh, having such a fantastic week. It was on 59 watch even throughout the week as well. But it was that triple bogey on 18 that really derailed his chances at winning. But he did speak to the media after his failure. Mate, incredible week, just really unlucky break there on 18. Could you just run us through, you know, your version of events there on that last hole? Yeah, not too unlucky. I mean, I made a bad swing and uh, it went where it went after uh, it was kind of in the bush there. I figured the only chance I had to stay in the tournament was to try to get it back in the fairway. Um, and obviously, you know, I couldn't get it back in the fairway. Yeah, I had a look there. It was basically because you, if you were going to take a drop, you would have had a hard time getting it to the green anyway, right? So you knew you needed four, your best effort is to just chop as hard as you can edit. And That's what I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought if I could get it back in the fairway, I'd have a chance. Um, and I figured it was worth the risk because I didn't think I'd have too much of a chance of getting it up and down from the, uh, the brush there. It's a third second at this place. Um, what positives can you take? I know it's real early after what, you, what you've just witnessed, but um, what can you take from the week? Yeah, I mean, I played well, um, you know, all week for the most part. One bad swing at the end. Um, obviously would have liked to have closed the deal out today, but... You know, sometimes that's golf. You fell behind a few times and were able to battle back. Was that pleasing as well? You know, I had a chance, uh, you know, coming down to the back nine. I, I hit a lot of good shots, made a lot of good swings. And so, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, all in all, it was a good week, and I played a lot of solid shots this week. Obviously, the last hole, um, you know, makes, makes the whole week kind of sour.
I mean, no doubt, absolute crushing disappointment for Patrick Cantley there. You mentioned horses for courses. A win here, three runner-up finishes and a T8 in five starts here um, at the Shriners Children's Open. You know, this was his to win. This is a course where he's so comfortable. Uh, would have been another win in the bag for him and a real confidence boost. How gutting do you think he would have felt walking off there on Sunday? Well, he's still the only guy who ever leaves Vegas every year ahead because he, he just cashes a big check at this tournament every single time he shows up. But this would have burned him. Trevor Immelman said it was a toe hook off the tee. Well, it's also the only place that he really couldn't miss off the tee was left. So it was kind of a, a lousy swing he made. And it's out of character for him. I mean, he does lead the PGA Tour in strokes gained off the tee. This was one per swing. And the decision-making from that point got aggressive thinking he could pitch it back and his caddy told him he would have about 160 yards if he'd gotten it out to the oh, fairway. Didn't make it, had to take the drop and this is really, I suppose, the suicide swing right here, just trying to get super aggressive, trying to get it on and save a bogey. And this really rinsed everything away. He made a heck of a putt on that green for a triple bogey though, that's some consolation. But it's going to burn him when you're the world number four and you're that close and you've chased down a guy like Tom Kim who hasn't been in that position very often, you're going to feel confident. And Cantley would have felt confident after he caught him late on the back nine until he hit that shot on 18. And it'll burn him probably not for very long. It's, you know, they make a lousy swing here and there. But that was a particularly ugly finish. Yeah, and, and as you say, very out of character. He picked up this nickname, Patty Ice, that we all sort of overuse now. But he does have that sort of stern focus about him where he's very unshakable when he's out on the course. And until he gets the job done, we rarely sort of see much emotion from him. It's sort of time now that we expect to see Patrick Cantley stepping up in the majors, perhaps taking home his first major championship because he is that calibre of player. And we expect that that's probably the next move from him. Yeah, there's any number of players, and we could all name them, where you would just see the histrionics yesterday as that played out. Cantley just kind of went about his business in a fairly calm manner, didn't get the result he wanted, but in a way he kind of denied us the theatre that we would have seen with some other players having a meltdown in that situation. But he, he remains fairly even-keeled all the time. Yeah, very mature and very open about the uh, mistake that he made on 18. But hey, a, a very solid week from Patrick Cantley, and we are very early on in the season indeed. So with that, let's take a look at the Comcast Business Tour Top 10. And the reason this is so important <laughs> is because since 2009, every player who finished in the Comcast Business Tour Top 10 has made it to the Tour Championship at Eastlake. So if players finish in the Top 10, odds are they are going to make the Tour Championship. So you can see here, Max Homer is the number one spot and has been for a couple of weeks now. Well, John Ram had the weight of expectation on his shoulders at the Spanish Open this past weekend. So how did he deal with it? He won by six shots. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And here is your final leaderboard at the Open de España. John Ram at the top, winning by six strokes with that final round, 62, over Mathieu Pavan of France. Minwoo Lee there in third place. And that puts John Ram on a pretty special list of Spanish golfers. The fewest number of starts to eight wins on the DP World Tour. And he did it just one behind the all-time legend, Seve Ballesteros. And after his victory, he talked about what that meant to him. I haven't had time to process really anything, right? Uh, it's, it's truly an honor, right? Um, Seve was the winningest Spanish player in the Spanish Open, and to join him in just four attempts is very unique. And to beat his low scoring record on this course, to do it in this fashion, truly, it's... Uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, sometimes it takes me a while to get off golf mode and in competition mode, right? Uh, and, you know, but... I'm almost for a loss of words. You know, I've been able to to join Seve in many lists uh, in, in the history of the game, or the Spanish history of the game, and this one could be the most meaningful. There's been bigger, bigger accomplishments, no doubt. Uh, you know, I'm aware that these three victories are not the strongest fields I play on, but they're not the easiest weeks for me. Right? Uh, I come in as the favorite. I'm supposed to win. I have the whole crowd behind me, and. It's a lot of effort to maintain to just try to play golf in a under an atmosphere that I'm not used to playing, right? So, it's uh, it's perhaps the most the most meaningful in that sense because you know those weeks are hard, and when you're supposed to win by a lot, it's hard, and to be able to get it done is truly is truly an honor. You said at the start of the week you felt it was your duty to play here in Spain. Describe yeah. the joy you get from winning, especially that scene on 18. Yeah, well, I take it up on myself. Nobody's telling me this. I feel like it's it, it's it's something I have to do, right? Uh, I feel like I was given the torch of, uh, the torch of Spanish golf and it's my, my time now to carry it and, and try to take it as far and as, you know, to, to new heights, right? Uh, Sevi did a magnificent job. Magnificent job. Uh, Oli did amazing. Miguel Angel did incredible and he keeps doing amazing things in, this, in the Champions Tour. And Sergio, what to say about Sergio, right? He's well, greatest cap... Uh, Ryder Cup player we ever had and an amazing friend so to be to be the one who's doing this now is incredible and to feel the support from the crowd on that 18th hole is hard to believe um, I know it's supposed to help but in golf and individual sports sometimes that that crowd can get in your head and and it's you know it's something that is hard to get used to I'm, I'm not gonna lie and, and I'm proud I was able to do what I, what I did uh, truthfully moments like this you know pressure packed moments make you better pressure make diamonds and sometimes you get a diamond of her own like this one. Obviously such a special week for him Eamon and you heard him there mention the crowds they just love seeing their hometown heroes you've got Seve here and you've got Ram as well split screen of their wins at the Spanish Open I mean it doesn't get much more special than this. It really doesn't if you're a Spanish golfer this is like being you know compared to a deity 
out there and Ram was particularly noted of the fact that he'd beaten Seve's record on this very golf course as well. Yes, he was very keen to point that out. Also another lovely moment that we saw on Sunday, Carmen, daughter of the great Seve Ballesteros. He congratulated, she congratulated John Ram as well on the day as he equaled her father's Spanish Open record. So you always have this feeling ever since John Ram has broken out onto the scene that he's playing for more than just the money. He's playing for more than the love of the game. He's playing for the legacy and the history and he's very aware of his role in terms of, as he said, sort of taking on the torch of Spanish golf and taking it to new heights. And a week like that is so instrumental for growing the game and it's something that he's very passionate about. It is, and he, he wears that mantle with, with great grace, I thought, as well, because this is not an easy week if you're a John Ram, because you come as, in his case, he arrived as the world number six, or left as the world number five. He has all of this national pride and the idea of wanting to represent his his own nationality, defend his own national open title, even his home tour, a broader scope in terms of the DP World Tour versus just being a PGA Tour centric golfer. So he's got all of that. And then he's showing up at a tournament where, as he said, it's not his strongest field of the year. There were only two guys in the top 50 in the world ranking there, which was John Ram when he was number six and Tommy Fleetwood at number 30. But John Ram didn't just win. He's expected to win, as he said, but he won in a pretty dominating fashion. And if you look at the statistics that John Ram put together in this performance, it was number one strokes gained off the tee. Uh, sorry, number one strokes gained off the tee in, in the field this week. Number one strokes gained tee to green. Strokes gained putting tied for fourth, second in driving distance, and first in putts per round. That's a pretty comprehensive performance. It's only been a month ago since he played the DP World Tour event at Wentworth, the BMW Championship finished second to Shane Lowry, tied with Roy McIlroy for second, and he shot a 62 on Sunday there as well. So this is a guy who's delivering low numbers under pressure on, on Sunday afternoon. And whatever doubts there were that John Ram was in something, not necessarily a slump, but he had kind of flatlined a little bit mm -hmm. this year, certainly since the victory in Mexico back in May, that, that's kind of been put to rest now because this is a, an eminently pressure-filled week for a guy like John Ram. You're right. He's certainly sort of travelled under the radar in 2022 with the win in Mexico, but not much else to sort of shout home about. He did come to life in the FedEx Cup playoffs with three sort of top 15 finishes, two top 10 finishes, which was good to see and a strong finish. But also we have to remember off the course as well, there's been a lot going on for John Ram. They've welcomed in their second baby, uh, which has got to be a, a, a huge adjustment mentally and physically. And that has to take its toll in, in terms of just navigating life as a 27-year-old and a father of two moving house. I think off the course, there could have been those distractions. And, and we may well see next year, John Rahm, as he said, feeling a little bit more settled into the routine and sort of finding that old school John Rahm who has got the ability to dominate the PGA Tour. You would think so because there isn't really much of a statistical difference all that significant between John Rahm this year and last year. But if you look at his results, particularly in the major championships, last year he didn't finish worse than eighth in any of the majors and, of course, won the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. This year the U.S. Open was also his best result in the majors, but he tied for 12th. And the rest of it was, by his own standards, a pretty mediocre showing in the other three major championships. And that victory at, in the Vedanta Mexico Open back in May, it was something of an anomaly because we weren't seeing the consistent high finishes that John Ram had been showing over the last couple of years. He just seemed a little bit out of sorts in terms of his results, but he really looks as though he's rounding into form right now. And this tells you why John Ram publicly 
said after this vision emerged of what the PGA Tour would look like starting in 2024, when they, the top players will commit to 20 times a year between January and August of playing against each other in the PGA Tour, he was the one who brought out the fact that he still wants to be able to compete in Europe to honour his home tour, to honour his home open. And this is why John Ram's doing it. It's not for an easy paycheck. Mm -hmm. He does have this sense of a legacy or owing something to the game beyond just his own personal enrichment. And we don't see a lot of that these days. And presumably he'll get his way. I think there would probably end up being some kind of compromise in terms of what the schedule is going to have to yeah. look like for the absolute top players. But he's not going anywhere. He's, he's planning to show up in Spain for as long as they'll have him. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a juggle for those top European players. Uh, but just so good to see John Ron back in the winner's circle at a place where arguably there is no event closer to his heart. He made history there over the weekend. Well, coming up, two words. Hello, world. Yes, we had a Tiger Woods sighting over the weekend. When will we see him teed up again? We uh, take a look when Golf Today returns. ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back. Well, time now for a little tiger tracker on this Monday in Golf World Alert. We have a tiger sighting posted to Twitter on Sunday. Look at this, tiger hitting wedges at the hay. His new par three course at Pebble Beach that he designed along with TGR Design. Woods is at Pebble in support of his junior tournament, the TGR Junior Invitational presented by Taylor Made. And check this out on Twitter, our very own Damon Hack doing what he does best. Tiger tweeting out, great night with Damon Hack and all the TGR Junior Invitational golfers. Good luck to the finalists tomorrow at Spanish Bay. Well, we can never get enough analysis of Tiger Woods swing, so we're pleased to be joined now by Jim Gallagher Jr., our friend and five-time PGA Tour winner. Jim, you've watched the video as we all have. It's kind of like the Zabruder film. We're all studying it. What do you take from what you saw in terms of just those few wedge swings the Tiger made? I think it's just it's kind of teasing us a little bit. But I look back at the Masters when he made that great comeback. The golf swing fundamentally looked pretty good. It's just a matter of how long it can hold up. I just don't know. Uh, I think for Tiger, he's always outworked everybody. He's outthought everybody. And he's not able to put the same practice time in as these guys are doing week in, week out, and the competition and the reps. Uh, when we were at the Augusta, we watched him. It looked like he was not counting 
mean how many shots he had, but he had kind of a precise warm-up. But I, I think the days for him to be able to play 10, 15 tournaments, they may have passed on. But I, I don't know. Tiger, Tiger Woods has got this amazing ability to, to uh, outthink everybody, but I think physically there are some limitations. I think we might see him play with Charlie at the father and son. I know that's a big part of it. It's been fun to watch him transition into that, and he had a great time there. But it's so hard, as we saw at Augusta, that whole week to finish up four rounds. Tried to come back to PGA, the body just not quite healed up from that. But uh, a lot of limitations, and it's, uh, you know, when we get to see him, I remember back in North Carolina, a lady came in to see him play at Greensboro, I think it was 2015. She drove three and a half, four hours just to get a glimpse of him playing, and that may be what you see out there now is, is him for a lot of people coming out just to get a glimpse of seeing him playing and competing again. I guess a lot of us are like that fan in Greensboro, Jim. There's this desire to see legends kind of either end their career on their own terms or just keep it going. Do we have a tendency to just over-analyze, read too much into the mere fact that we can see Tiger swing a golf club after what he's gone through the last few years? We can. You know, I, I, you know, I, I sit there and I think, man, I doubted he could come back the first time he came back. He wins the Masters and does that. But I think just the, the, from what happened at the wreck, it just uh, it was too much on him. But I, I think a great point you made as professional athletes, we don't always get to determine when we get to retire or finish uh, on a high note. It rarely happens. It's usually the game either passes you by or an injury uh, that you get to say, hey, it's over. So I think that's the tough part of our game is you always don't just go out on a high note. It's sometimes just age and time just eventually catches up on us. Time catches up on everyone. And, yep. and of course, Tiger's role right now, he is not the dominant force inside the ropes that he used to be. But, you know, there's still much more to come from Tiger Woods. We're hoping that we will be see seeing him compete next season. But, of course, he's also got the TGR Foundation, TGR Design. We've just seen him at the Hay as well. Potential future Ryder Cup captain. I mean, where do you see big picture Tiger's role in the game right now? Not ambassador. I think it's been really neat to see him become a mentor. I, I think we've seen that more than when he was competing. He wanted to just beat you and beat you by 10 or 15. I think you're seeing him uh, with a lot of the younger guys, of course, Justin Thomas and all these guys on the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup. He's a big part of that. I think you're seeing kind of that mentorship for some of these younger players. And why wouldn't you? I remember when I was on tour, I tried to play with those veterans, try to pick their brains. I mean, they have the knowledge and the experience. They can tell you maybe how they felt certain situations. So I think it's a transition into that and an ambassador. And, and you just look back at the career he's had. Uh, and, and I think I think the more time he takes off from playing, the tougher it is to compete. But I think he's understood that role and he's embraced it. And it's been fun to watch him. We're seeing a different Tiger than we've ever seen when he was that ultimate warrior uh, competitor. One of the places where we do see that different Tiger, Jim, is in the PNC yeah. father-child events where he's played with Charlie. We're assuming we'll probably see him there again in December. But Nota Begay teased us recently when he said he thought it's possible we might see Tiger play a different event in the fall. Now, he announced the field last week for the Hero World Challenge. There's still three open slots in that field. Do you think he's going to show up and play there himself? Uh, you know, he could. I would lean more towards the father-child, the, father the parent-child uh, event, because I know he wants to be with Charlie, wants to be prepared for that. It means so much to him, and then and to be part of Charlie's life. I think that's part of the role, too, is, is, as a side, as a father, he's taken more of a part in his, is his kids' lives as they got have gotten older. Uh, and, and that's the thing, when you play professional golf, your family sometimes suffers because you're not home enough, and you don't want to miss those days. I know 
for myself. I kind of quit playing at 40. I wanted to be home to be with my kids. I didn't want them when they got older to say, hey, I know my, I know my dad's Jim Gallagher. I didn't spend a lot of time with him. So I think he's kind of at that part where he, it's a tough juggle. And I've seen great people do it. I've seen Jack Nicklaus do it with his family, be able to be a premier player and a father. Bruce Liskey, my kind of mentor, was the same way. So uh, I think he's falling more into that. I think he's enjoying that time being home. He's still a great competitor, but I think he's really embraced that time with Charlie, and they've had a great time. It's been fun to watch them uh, go together because it's a different side of Tiger we didn't always get to see. Yeah, it's just brilliant to see Tiger, no matter where he is, still clearly a burning passion for yeah. this game. Uh, Jim, thank you so much. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Hello, sir. Well, let's get a check-in on the PGA Tour Champions, where Steve Stricker is victorious once again. On Sunday, he shot a 3-under 69 to get the two-stroke victory at the Constellation Hurricane and Friends. The win is his fourth win on the senior circuit this season. So, Steve Stricker has been dominating the year so far. Let's check out the final leaderboard. As we mentioned, a two-shot victory for Steve Stricker for his fourth win. And what about tournament host Jim Furyk? He ran a four straight birdies on the back nine to rally for a 69, finishing third with his best finish of the year. So with that, let's just take a quick check-in with the Charles Schwab Cup standings. You can see Stephen Elka is leading the way there. Patrick, uh, Podrick Harrington, what a season he's having. And uh, Steve Stricker rounds out your top three. Meanwhile, it was a huge Sunday on the LPGA Tour for England's Jodie Ewart-Shadoff. She shot a final round 71 at the LPGA Medaheel Championship to pick up her first career win in her 246th start on tour. And with that win, Ewart-Shadoff earned 500 points and is projected to move from 44th to 22nd in the race to the CME Globe. And she held off some pretty stiff competition for this victory. Major champions in Yuka Sasso, Georgia Hall and Danielle Kang all right behind her. She finished at 15 under par, and afterwards, she spoke to Kay Cockrell. Jody, you have waited for this moment for over a decade. You're a highly regarded pro. You've played on three Solheim Cup teams. You're an Olympian. What does this moment mean to you to finally get your first LPGA win? Yeah, it's a, a little bit surreal, really. Um, I didn't think, I didn't know if this moment would ever come. Um, and I'm just really grateful for everybody who's on my team because um, last year was really hard and you know I'm standing here because of them so um, yeah just really grateful. Speaking of hard it's not easy to play with a four-shot lead and that four-shot lead disappeared. What did you say to yourself and how did you gather yourself to get it done on the back nine? Yeah I just you know just try to take each shot as it came and um, just stayed really patient and um, you know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, so I just try to stay within myself and hit as good a shots as I could and just try to stay present. You've always been regarded as one of the best ball strikers, and you showed that on this difficult golf course, but your putter won it for you this week. How good does it feel to have a golden putter in your hand? Yeah, literally. Um, it's a big boost of confidence. You know, I've always struggled with putting. Um, and it's, you know, been a source of frustration for a long time. But um, this week, it just, it was the, you know, it was the best part of my game. So, um, yeah, I think practicing putting goes a long way. <laughs> well, you were a magical putter today. You kept it together. It was a thrill to watch you. Congratulations on getting your first win here in L.A. Thank you.
Well, congratulations, and nobody knows what she's been through more than her proud husband, Fox 35 Orlando anchor Adam Shadoff. He sent out this tweet last night saying, I am beyond proud of Jodie Hewitt winning on the LPGA for the first time. From the countless hours of practicing to the close calls, she's missed weddings and funerals, injuries so bad I've had to help her step into her clothes. 11 years later, you are a champion, Jodie, and I love you. Well, what an emotional win. And with that, I'm delighted to welcome in Kay Crockle, who was on the broadcast, who did that interview with Jodie uh, once she wrapped up the win. Just uh, give us a sense of what you learned about Jodie Hewitt Shadoff last week, Kay. I was beyond impressed with her overall composure. She had, had talked about her un inability to kind of handle the nerves in the big situations. She's had opportunities in the past to win and she didn't handle it very well. And this week she did. It's not easy to go out with a lead and try to protect that lead. And that lead went away. Paula Rito surpassed her as they went into the back nine. And she, I noticed she stayed really calm she wasn't chit-chatting really with the other players very much. She was staying very much by herself. Even when we made the turn on the 10th tee, she kind of sat to her side while Paula Rito and Andrea Lee were kind of chit-chatting as they were waiting for the green to clear. And I thought, you know, she's doing a lot of self-talk right now. And she pulled, I think, pulled on all of her past experiences and probably the work that she's done with Seth Pepper, who is her mental coach, she talked about doing a lot of breathing and just trying to get herself through the moment and allow her her natural abilities to climb through. And, and she got it done. And she said that one footer at the end was not easy, but she got it to drop. Okay, we spend a lot of time in this game talking about youthful talent that's on the way up. You know, Tom Kim today is a prime example. And here is Jody. She's been out there for almost a dozen years, 245 starts. She'd been runner-up three times, 27 top tens. She had to start wondering, was it actually going to happen for her? Were you surprised at how well she held it together when it mattered yesterday afternoon? I, I was, because we've seen her falter and not hold it together. And whether it was the golf course and just you know, the timing, the feeling. She talked about having a great sense of flow with her game. And the big, big difference was the putter. She was so solid, rock solid from four, five feet in. She didn't miss any important putt from a short distance. And had she missed a short putt, it could have derailed her and started that downward spiral of, oh, here it goes again. I, I, I can't get it done on the putting green. But when you are supremely confident in your putter, that bleeds into every part of your game. And, and like we've talked about, she's a, a superb ball striker, but no, nobody knows all of the agony that players go through behind the scenes. She talked about last year, she was outside of the top hundred on the money list. Um, she had reoccurring back problems. She got together with Grant Waite, which was a huge, huge connection for her to start working with someone who, who got her to swing in a way that took the pressure off her lower back. And when you can play pain-free, it just, it just buoys your whole um, emotions and, and your confidence. And I think that's um, what we saw was a culmination of just good health, belief in herself, 
hard work on with the putter and she, her, her golf game, her swing has always been there. So much mental strength to get to where she was uh, over the weekend, Kay. Now, I can't talk about the weekend without pointing out the English double, of course. Charlie Hull closing it out last weekend. And now Jodie Hewitt, shut up. You know, we say it's a bit like London buses. You wait forever for one to come along and then two come at once. But this is just the second time this century that we've had different English players on the LPGA closing out successive events on the tour. How impressive has this performance been by these English golfers out on tour? Because there's not many of them out there. No, and, and I think um, it, it, when one wins, it really lifts the spirit of another player. I mean, you have um, Hall and Hull, and now you have um, Jody Urich Shadoff, Laura Davies, Trish Johnson, Caroline Pierce, back in the day um, were obviously great English players. There was a little bit of a lull in the players coming out of England. And I think now with um, these women, getting into the winner's circle and starting to be more prolific winners. It's just going to uh, motivate the young girls at home and see some some mentors that they can really identify with. And I hope to see a, a churning out of even more English, in, English winners. We had the first player from Ireland win earlier this year. And so I think it's really important for countries to have women that they can aspire to try to try to match. Okay, Jodie was the 10th first-time winner on the LPGA Tour this year. Are you a fan of that kind of parity, or would you prefer to see a dominant or a couple of dominant players drive the narrative on tour? I can see both sides. I, I feel like when you do have a superstar, it really brings more eyeballs to the sport because they start doing something really phenomenal like an Annika Sorenstam, like Kari Webb, like Sayri Pak, like uh, Lorena Ochoa. But I actually prefer parity. I like the idea that you have a variety of winners and that you really don't know who is possibly going to step up and get it done. And I think with uh, the strength of junior golf and the strength of women's collegiate golf and all the great amateur events around the world and all of the, the global reach of this game, we're just going to see more and more of this parity. Yes, we're going to, at some point, you'll see a superstar breakthrough. It happens every five, 10 years on the men's side, on the women's side. But right now we, we're in that period where, hey, let's just sit back and enjoy the fact that we have a lot of talent out there and, and women are coming from every corner of the world to, to step up and get it done. And Kay, the part of the season that we're at now, we're sort of building momentum into the race of the Simi Globe, that top 60 making a winner-takes-all huge prize purse at the end of the season. But there's a lot of travel coming up as players are jostling uh, sort of into position. What's at stake for the players and what do they need to do over the next three or four weeks or so? Well, there's, there's a, a more limited field that will be playing at the BMW Ladies Championship in Korea. Then there's a week off and then the Toto Japan. So players at that point that might be outside the top 60 have a chance to make some money in those no-cut events and get inside the top 60. But there are a, a number of players that have chosen to only play one or the other because they don't want to be over in Asia for three weeks with a week off in between. I think we'll see more Asian players actually play both events because they'll have a chance to go home in between. Um, and then there's, you know, top 80 is a big number because that gets you fully exempt for next year on the tour and exempt into all the big events. And then 81 to 100, still you keep a good, a good position on the card. And most of the players that end up finishing 101 out 
will go back to, to the Q series and try to up their status. So a lot of stress coming down these last few events for your card, for your position, for your pecking order for next year. There's another points race getting a lot of attention, Ken. I want you to play the part of my bookie here, this player of the year race, which is points determined on the LPGA Tour. And it seems pretty close between Minji Lee and Brooke Henderson and Athia Thitical, even potentially Lydia Ko. Do you have any sense of where you think that's going to fall when the season's over? Gosh, I, I don't because it just depends on who 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 gives that big push down the, the finishing events. And I think we'll see... Um, most of those players playing, if not both in, in Asia, also the Pelican and CME. And CME, wouldn't it be exciting if it comes down to that last event that really determines who takes home the big hardware? Um, those are phenomenal players. They've all had their moment in the sun this year. Ataya Titikun, to me, is such an amazing player. And Anna talked about it earlier. These young players are so mature. Yes, there are immature young players, and, and those are generally the ones we don't see break through. But Ataya is is the epitome of mature. She reminds me of a, a Lydia Ko when she first came out that just has an old soul and has a really high golf IQ. And she's playing a ton of tournaments like most rookies do because they want to experience every tournament. And then perhaps next year she'll pick and choose a little bit more the cities and the courses that kind of suit her game better than others. But um, yeah, I, and I like the fact that it's a point raced points race based um, award versus a, a vote because uh, this, you have to earn it. You earn it. You, you get the points and you earn player of the year. Let's talk about Danielle Kang for a second. Kay. She obviously missed three months earlier this year when a tumor was discovered on her spine. She's now played a few events and she's been in contention a couple of times. Does she look to you when you're out there on the ground as the Danielle Kang of old or do you think she's not quite there yet? You know, that's a really good question. Danielle is... Um, I, I scratch my head sometimes when I watch Danielle. I've known her and watched her since she was 15 years old. She is a drama queen. She thrives on the big lights and the stage. She loves having the crowd around. It really buoys her. I think they pushed her to a great finish, and, and, and she had an outshot, outside shot of winning in L.A. But, yeah, I think she's done some really good work with Butch. I talked with Butch last week about Danielle, and he said they have to alter her the way she practices she still has that tumor on her spine, and for now, she's able to work around it. They've had to alter her posture a little bit at a dress so she can turn a little bit better. Um, her practice is more about quality versus quantity, and of course, she spent, like most people who have gone through an injury, spent a ton of time on her short game. I mean, she hold out that shot in Walmart for Eagle that got her into the playoff. Um, I think she's back having a top-notch short game, which I'm used to seeing but the back is always a question. Um, there was even a point where she was unsure whether she was going to be able to keep competing. And will she have to have surgery on her back at some point? That's a big question mark. So I think for her, it's like, grab it while you can. She seems to be doing okay. But she talked about also just being able to play one tournament on, one tournament off. She cannot string together right now two, three, four tournaments in a row.
Yeah, it's been a year for Danielle Kang that she could never have prepared for, but she's come out the other side, it seems like, with a fantastic perspective and a sense of gratitude, and it's just so good to see her competing again. Uh, Kay, thank you so much for your thoughts across the board on the LPGA. Uh, the tour is in great shape, and uh, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it was a historic Sunday in Madrid for John Rahm, who won the Spanish Open for the third time in his career. With the victory, he joined his hero, Seve Ballesteros, as the only three-time winners of this event. And 2023 Ryder Cup captain Luke Donald congratulating Rahm after the victory, saying it is a pleasure to watch John Rahm when he's firing on all cylinders. But this win will further help encourage a new generation of Spanish golfers into our beautiful game. Vamos Rambo. And on that note, former top amateur Eugenio Chacara shot a final round 69 to win the Live Golf Bangkok Invitational. The 22-year-old Spaniard was number two in the world amateur golf ranking before signing a contract with Live and a war. 4.74 million dollars combined between individual and team win with the fireballs wowzer so john ram uh, tweeted out on uh, eugenio's win saying on the other side of the world eugenio managed to win a tournament although many considered him an opponent he was still a youngster winning his first professional tournament against some of the best players in the world eugenio if you see this congratulations something tells me he probably did see that and uh, John Rahm has been busy on social, also tweeting out, the Ryder Cup is not the PGA Tour and European Tour against Liv. It is Europe versus the US, period. The best of each against the other. And for me, the Ryder Cup is above all. I wish they could play, but it doesn't look good. This is very different to what we heard Roy McIlroy say, where he point blank says that any European who has gone to live should not be able to come back and compete for the Europeans in the Ryder Cup. What do you think of Rob's statement? It's a, it's a noble sentiment, but it's probably ignoring the reality of the politics of the Ryder Cup because it is owned, essentially half of it, by the European Tour. And it's used, it essentially funds the European Tour. It's a very lucrative uh, platform for them and they're disinclined I suspect to allow live golfers who've created this existential crisis for the tours to use that platform to promote themselves and particularly in in the case of some guys like say Sergio Garcia has a lot of baggage Westwood has created baggage Poulter has created baggage for other guys on the team we've heard Rory be vocal about that we've heard Shane Lowry be vocal on that subject Chikara doesn't come with any baggage at all he went straight from Oklahoma in college onto the live tour. But whether or not these guys are inclined to allow a live player to be part of using a, a Ryder Cup platform to essentially elevate in some ways their tour is, is very questionable because he's not going to get many qualification points. He's, it's a tough position for live guys to earn those qualifying points on the DP World Tour over the course of the next year. He's extremely unlikely to get a pick unless we see some kind of developments between now and then. He's clearly an enormous talent, mm. but it's also hard to judge what, what the value of this win actually is or subsequent wins down the road. Yeah, it's, it's hard to contextualise a live win because the, the, the ratings of which we sort of measure an achievement in golf aren't the measurements that you use to kind of look at a, a live event, 54 holes, no cut limited field it's very hard to compare exactly how big that achievement that was but going back to the Ram comment do you think it is a concern for the European team the fact that their two leaders their two stalwarts really in Rory McIlroy 
and John Rahm are sort of not at loggerheads, but they have very different opinions on how those live players should be treated in terms of coming back to the European Ryder Cup team. Is that an issue, the fact that there is a bit of a crack there? It may become so. I'd expect Luke Donald would be working overtime to try to paper that over or at least smooth out their differences over the course of the next year. It's ultimately, it's not within the gift of John Ram to invite them in nor in the gift of Rory McIlroy to keep them out in a way. But if it's probably more contentious among other members of the team to invite live players in, well, then I think that's unlikely to happen. You know, every domino falls, knocks down another one in this kind of scenario. And while Chikara is clearly recognized, even in college, as an enormous talent, he's competing in a, a fairly small ecosystem in which access to that ecosystem is determined by one factor, which is Greg Norman's misuse of the Saudi checkbook. And how can you really judge where they are in relation to beating the best players in the world? Sure, he beat some of the best players in the world, but he beat a lot of also rounds in there as well. You could also argue that's true in most tournaments on any given week, but it adds a layer of, of complexity to measuring Chikara and his success against a broader field uh, of the best golfers in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect example as well, though, of the kind of money that can be made over on Live for this youngster to go out and become a multi-multi-millionaire in just one win. Um, so congratulations to him. That's a decision that he's made, and it's, and it's paid off, clearly. But there is also some more news on the DP World Tour because the Horizon Irish Open is set for a date change in 2023 as the event will move to the K-Club and serve as the final event for the Ryder Cup qualification. The event would take place roughly three weeks before the 2023 Ryder a cup as European captain Luke Donald will have six captains picks to choose from. Eamon, what do you think about this uh, change in the schedule? This is how the Irish Open gets elevated without ever achieving the Rolex series status on the DP World Tour because previously in the last few years it's been held two weeks before the Open Championship, one week before the Scottish Open and it's very difficult in a tournament in that location to draw a field knowing that guys are going to play three consecutive weeks and they're coming off a pretty hefty schedule in the US leading into that. So I think the voices of Roy McIlroy and Shane Lowry were probably pretty powerful here. They want to play their home open. Where does it fall on the schedule? And that becomes even more important when we move into the calendar year schedule of 2024. And these guys play a very intense schedule right up until the Tour Championship at Eastlake. This schedule would have the Irish Open played one week after that. It elevates it also with the being the final Ryder Cup qualification event. It's pretty much going to get anyone on the bubble in there. And it's probably worth noting that the last time it was played at the K-Club, Rory McIlroy was your champion. Oh, well, there you go. And the Irish Open isn't quite the Irish Open when you don't have Rory McIlroy there or Shane Larry there. I mean, those names could make this tournament what it can be. So if it means they're in the field, then uh, yeah, it could be a great move and a great stretch of golf as well, leading in to the Ryder Cup. Well, it's one of the most important partnerships in professional sport, a player in their caddy. How about Scotty Scheffler and Ted Scott, Bubba, Bubba Watson's long-term caddy of 15 years, winning the, the WM Phoenix Open, and, of course, Will Zalatoris and Joel Stock winning the FedEx St. Jude Championship, and another new pairing this year, Joe Scovran and Tom Kim, of course, Ricky's long-term caddy. They made their debut together at the President's Cup and have continued on to big things. Well, speaking of those big things, it is time now for Winning Moments presented by Wingrips. 
And Tom Kim on Sunday closed with a 5 under 67 and completed a bogey-free week in Las Vegas to win the Shriners Children's Open when Patrick Cantlay fell apart on the final hole on Sunday. Kim became the first player since Tiger Woods in 96 to win twice on the PGA Tour before turning 21. And he caught up with our own Amy Rogers. Thanks so much, Sherry. Tom, you told me yesterday you knew you were going to have to be patient and to stick to your game plan to have a chance here today. How well were you able to do both of those things? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I played really solid this week. You know, I had no bogeys for 72 holes, and um, I think I got to give big credits to Joe, my caddy. You know, he really kept me in it, and we had a really good game plan coming into the week, um, and it paid off, and it's... You know, I got very lucky on the 18th. You know, I'm not going to lie. Patrick played awesome, and it was an honor to battle with him and uh, to come out on top. You know, I feel very fortunate. With your win today, you become the first player since Tiger Woods to win twice before your 21st birthday. Are you surprised at how quickly you found success out here on the PGA Tour? Yes and no. Um, you know, like I, I, I've, I've worked really hard, and my team has worked really hard for this point, and I'm just really grateful, and I'm very fortunate to have an opportunity like this. And... It's, uh, I'm having fun playing on the PGA Tour. It's awesome. He does credit his caddy, uh, Joe Scroven, there, who has obviously had a lot of experience on Ricky Fowler's bag, winning the players and winning some big events alongside Ricky Fowler. They went their separate ways, and Tom Kim, they kind of found each other and had a fantastic President's Cup, and now they've closed out their first win together on the PGA Tour. How important is it, do you think, for a player to be able to find that person, that support, who you just click with and it just works? We've seen this kind of elixir effect before quite recently, actually. It was at the RSM last year when Scotty Scheffler linked up with Ted Scott after his parting of the ways with Bubba Watson. He's gone on to win four times since then. And this is just actually the first stroke play event that Joe has been on the bag for Tom Kim. But how refreshing is it to see a 20-year-old, essentially still a kid, credit everyone except himself in that he even credited Lady Luck by saying Patrick <laughs> Cantley got unlucky on the last hole but he's crediting his team, he's crediting his caddy in his first week in the bag. And to me, that's the, what we talked about earlier, this idea of gratitude versus entitlement. And you see somebody who just seems well-balanced, has, has a great sense of perspective out there. And for all this kind of joviality and you know, charm that he brings to it, there's a bit of a stone-cold killer mm -hmm. in this kid as well. I mean, he started the Wyndham with a quadruple in the first hole. He went on to win by five. He single-handedly reignited the international team on Saturday afternoon in the President's Cup and then shows up here going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the world number four who shot 60 the day before and wasn't backing off at all from that. We often see the downside the next day, but Cantley wasn't backing off and Kim stayed with him the whole way through that final round and was there to close. You have to put yourself in the position to take advantage of the misfortunes of others in this game. And Tom Kim was there. He really is just an incredible breath of fresh air. And he's also just so marketable as well. You know, he looks the part, he sounds the part, he's flying the flag for South Korea out there, sounds American, speaks, you know, perfect English. It's so fun to get to know him. He has such a great personality. He's, he's a marketer's dream. I mean, his profile, not only in this sport, but he could potentially sort of break into the global world of professional sport because of who he is and what he represents. That was certainly Trevor Immelman's position at the President's Cup when he said he could become a global superstar. And it's amazing how quickly it happens here. He had no status whatsoever on the PGA Tour until he finished seventh at the Rocket Mortgage Classic back in August. And then he went on, won the Wyndham, becomes a breakout star at the President's Cup, now wins again you really start to feel as though a guy who should just be finding his footing 
as essentially a rookie mm -hmm. on the PGA Tour this year, it could actually be a real breakout year for this kid. Yes, the uh, all aboard the Tom Kim train, as we keep saying, it is uh, flying very fast down those tracks. Well, he's just one of the impressive winners that we had over the weekend. John Rahm got it done in Spain for the third time. Steve Stricker closed out the fourth win of his season. And Jody Hewitt shut off after 11 years on the LPGA Tour, finally broke through for the very first time alongside Tom Kim. Some fantastic stories, but I tell you what, we always like a sub storyline, don't we? Let's take a look at the winners who didn't win. Uh, what do you think, Aiden? I got a goal for Jason Day in this one. He shot 29 over his last nine holes yesterday, finished T8th at the Shriners. That's his first top 10 finish since he was third at the Farmers Insurance Championship out at Torrey Pines in January. Mm. And this is a guy who was a, a top 10 machine. He was a winning machine at one point in his career, but he's now almost five years removed from that last victory. He's still only 34 years old, and the numbers were encouraging this week for him. If you look at where he ranked last year on the PGA Tour, he was 98th in strokes gained off the tee and 145th in strokes gained approach. Last week at the Shriners, he was fifth off the tee and eighth on the strokes gained approach. So the ball striking has clearly improved a lot compared to what it was consistently last season. He's still kind of a little middle of the pack around the green and on the greens, and those are categories that he has previously led on the PGA Tour in 2016-2020. But he, he's definitely not the player he was, and we had a great question as to whether or not physically he could be the player he was again, or even an approximation of that player, because his back doesn't really allow him to a, play as much as he wants to and certainly practice as much as he wants to. But what we saw out of him at last week in Las Vegas, to me, was the first real encouraging sign we've seen for a guy. who He's now 143rd in the World Golf Ranking. He was 175th starting the week. It just seems a shocking number to see Jason Day down there. What we saw this week was encouraging, at least. You have to have a lot of respect for Jason Day and players like him who have tasted the absolute heights of this game. World number one, major champion, numerous time winner in multiple seasons. And then to be plagued by such severe injury that has just really sort of halted the progression in his career. We'll never quite know what the real potential of Jason Day could have been because of his back and because of the injuries that he's felt. But do you feel like we may see him climb up into the top 50 again and perhaps even win again? Oh, I would expect that he'll make both of those categories again, that he could both win and uh, climb up the rankings. He could even be a top 10 player again. I'm not sure he can play enough to be a world number one again. But he's a guy who's been to the top. I know you've got your eye on someone who's kind of made their way to the first tee, as it were, of their career to try to make a statement, even though they didn't actually get the victory at the weekend. Yeah, OK. Good to see Jason Day making some form. I think my winner who didn't win uh, over the weekend, that was over on the Epson Tour. Of course, you had to finish in the top 10 to claim your LPGA Tour card. Hu Zhu Zhang, 19-year-old from South Korea, started the week 11th in the standing. She finished 11th on the leaderboard, which was just enough to knock Alexa Pano out of the top 10 and claim that 10th card. So she will be heading to the LPGA. I mean, heartbreak for Alexa Pano. She turned pro this year. She will have an opportunity to go through Q Series. Uh, and she was just over $1,000 outside of uh, Alexa Pano going into the week. But hey, she did just enough. 
and off she goes onto the LPGA Tour. I mean, what a great feeling. And the only player in that top 10 to play her way into that uh, position that last week. You know, we talk an awful lot about the scope and scale of money in this game these days, Anna, but $1,000 between having a card and having not is a reminder there really isn't much between ecstasy and despair in this game. No, brutal, brutal.